Well, we are here. We're finishing off our series, Prayer Plus. Thank you guys for being here today. And as we're uh, diving in, with a quick uh, show of hands as we uh, kind of close this, close this out, how many of you out there have actually experienced VR? And you're like, wait, what? Uh, so, you know, seriously, virtual reality, throwing a goggle on your head, you've done something like that, and walked around a room. Yeah, a few of you guys. It's a weird sensation, and it looks really strange if you're not doing it. Um, but we got, I got a chance uh, at Mark's uh, bachelor party about a over, little over a year ago now um, to uh, go to this event where we got to go to this place called The Void. It's down at downtown Disney. It's an interesting place. You go in there, you kind of put your name in. They, they you put a goggles on your head. They put a vest on you. They give you a blaster, and you suddenly, when it all turns on, you are walking around in a world of Star Wars, basically, and you're attacking an Imperial frigate or something like that. I forget all, how it all works out, but as you're running through this thing, you know, you're shooting at things that aren't actually there. They're in your face. They're right here in front of your eyeballs, but they're not actually out there beyond your eyes. And yet, here you are pressing this stuff, you're pulling levers, and those levers are there, but it feel, but you're seeing something that's not actually there. And then there was this moment that it just kind of paused, and I realized, this is kind of silly. You walk up, and there's this face that broke open, and below you is this, it's all hot, and it's, it's supposed to be lava, and the room is hot, and you feel hot, and it's kind of weird, but it's a gap in the walkway, and you're like, you're supposed to kind of do a little jump over the thing, or else you'll fall in, and I remember, I don't remember if it was me or somebody, but one of them just looked at it and went like this, made sure that, that it was there, right, and they're like, that's weird, you know, so, because it looks like it shouldn't be there, but it, but there. But it's, and so suddenly you start thinking about this and we're sitting in this room shooting at this, this, whatever's going on in the distance, there's, they're attacking you and you're, you're hiding behind stuff and the stuff is there in front of you. And you had a chance to peek under, you realize you're not shooting at anything. There's just a big blank room out there. And there's actually employees standing around looking at you like this. You know, they're, they're watching you to make sure you're okay, that your experience is good, that your little tagline that you've got on, your, your glasses, you're not pulling them off to see what's going on. But and literally, just stand around. I mean, you can imagine what these guys talk about at their Christmas parties. They're like, you see that idiot? And, you know, the guy who tripped over nothing. You know, it's kind of the, that whole situation where it's so weird. You have an experience that they're not having. You're seeing this reality that they're not seeing. And, and, it, and it reminds me of this last section we're going to be taught by Jesus to pray. Because when you and I engage in this world around us, we have been taught that what you see and what you can feel and what you can taste and what you can touch is all that is real. That if you really looked at it and you just and you pushed any further, no, nope, that's it. That's you're done. There's nothing truly beyond. There's no uh, employees out there watching you from a, from a distance. And yet we understand is there is. There's a, there's a God who actually is seeing everything. He's watching us. He's, he's observing us. He's, he's our Father in heaven who longs for our good. He's seeking to help us. And yet at the same time, there's a whole other reality of, of other employees running around who could potentially trip you if you wanted, you know, and you never know where it came from because we don't see them. We're, we're engaged in a reality, not of simple sight, but also of a deeper spiritual reality. And I believe what Jesus wants to do is he wants to keep our minds honed in on reality. He doesn't want us just to believe in what we can simply see all the time, but to engage in the further realities that are going on. And so he's going to teach us and remind us of this reality here in Matthew chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you might want to open your app or you can grab one under the seats and join us on page 811. Uh, we'll have the verses up as well. But this is an opportunity for you at home or for you guys here to, to engage in this set of 
prayer, basically. And we've been looking at this. If you're new to our series, this is our last week. We're talking, this is called Prayer Plus, and we're talking about the Lord's Prayer. Now, you may have prayed the Lord's Prayer in your life, and you may have prayed it rotely if you're just joining us. We have been talking about the Lord's Prayer not as something that is rote, but actually something that is a model of prayer that we need to work through, that it begins with this idea of our Father who is present with us. We want to start there. Then we want to move into that his name is made holy. It's cherished. It's valued like a, like a football player in the Uber Bowl, you know what I mean, when they win that thing. And then we've got this idea that we want to get on God's game plan and not get God on ours. We want his kingdom to come, his will to be done, not our kingdom and our will. Then we're already, now that we've orientated ourselves to God's will and his way, we want to get engaged now with asking him for our needs. And he knows what we need, and he's willing to provide them. Physical, mental, relational needs. And then we moved into the section last week where we realized we need God's help to forgive us of our sins. That it's a big debt, that we are pitiable people that need God's mercy. And when he lays that mercy upon us, we realize now we give mercy to others. We forgive those around us. And so now he moves us into this last section where he teaches us to pray this prayer. It says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, don't lead me into those situations where I'm going to sin. God, please don't lead me into that. Rescue me from evil. And yet I have to pause right here because we have to ask ourselves a question. Like when we see this and you read, lead us not into temptation, I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. How can God lead us into temptation? How is it that God, who is this, this good, loving God, lead us to do evil and then punish us for it? Is that what we're saying, that, God, that God's up there and he's like, oh, I'm going to trick you. I'm going to give you this opportunity to, to, to sin against me and then I'm going to punish you forever. Is this the kind of God we're talking about? Because I believe there are people out there that think so. I think they think of God as this one who keeps putting these obstacles in their way so they fall over them, trip over them, make a mess of their lives, and they look up at God. It's like, how can you do this to me? How can you put all this evil in my life? How can you make me do these things? And yet when we read further in the Bible and we even look at various aspects of other, of other parts, of other, other letters in the text, we come to James and James was the brother of Jesus. He was over the church, and as he wrote to the church early on, a letter to the church saying, hey, guys, we need you to, to hear me out. He talks about temptation, and he says, let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. Don't, don't sit there and go, oh, God, you're tempting me. Why are you doing this? He says, don't do that. God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Evil doesn't look attractive to God ever. There's never a moment where God's like, oh, I really would love to do this thing here. He doesn't do that. In fact, there, you and I, we have struggles. We have situations that we would lean into and we would fail. Maybe it's in a bar for you or the internet, or maybe you find yourself in a situation where it just makes you mad because you're in that with that person again or whatever. And you, you find yourself in these situations, but God never has any of those situations ever. He, he can walk by any case, any situation that might be tempting to us. And he will never assume or act towards sin ever. He is not tempted with evil, and he will never tempt you with evil. He doesn't try to dangle anything in front of you to make you sin, to make you want something else. That is not God's job. That is not what he's out to do. He wants the best for us. He wants to train us. And so we go, when, why in the world are we saying, lead us not into temptation then? Jesus, what are you doing? 
Well, the Pope got involved a couple months ago on this very question. Anybody read that, that article? What's interesting is that he actually said the English-speaking world translated it wrong. And he says, we need to step back as the Catholics. We're not going to pray. Lead us not into temptation anymore. The new prayer actually says that he tells them to don't let us uh, pray. Do not let us fall into temptation. And I get what he's getting at, and I think it's interesting. But the problem is when you dive in and you look at the actual Greek words of what Jesus said, the word lead actually means lead. It doesn't change. When you ask God to not lead us, we're saying, hey, don't direct my steps. Don't, don't let me follow after you into temptation. And so it doesn't necessarily erase what Jesus actually said, regardless of how we want to translate it. Jesus told us to pray, Father, lead us not into temptation. Don't lead us in that direction. So what do we do with this? Well, as Christians, we've had an answer to this for, for many, many centuries. In fact, there are two good answers that we've had, and I'm going to lay them both out and, and as a kind of a rubric for the way we're going to look at this. And the first one is really to examine that last word, lead us not into temptation. And what it says is actually that, God, we're going to ask you to not lead us into trials that we can fail. Not that we're going to fall into temptation like it's some accident, but we're asking God, don't lead me into the test. Don't lead me into the trial that I'm going to fail in. Because the word temptation has two translations in the Greek. One is temptation, like attempting of you to sin. The other is a test, a trial. What's interesting about a test or trial, because we've all been through tests, haven't we? I mean, we all went through school and you got a test. And a test was there to, teach, to test your knowledge. Well, God does, doesn't test you for your knowledge, God's not going to get you up into heaven, and he's going to give you this test, and if you can pass the theology exam, you're in. That's not, that's not the way this is going to work. What God is doing, though, on earth is he's putting you through tests to show you your character, to show you the kind of person you are, to reveal to you where you stand. And so God will put you through tests. He will lead you into tests. And as he leads you into these tests, he wants to see something. Who are you? What kind of person are you? And show yourself that. Now, this happens all the time. We do this even as fathers and parents ourselves. It's going to happen this season a lot. Trust me. If you have children especially, because here's what happened to me last night. I used this illustration, and funny thing was, after we had this big Thanksgiving thing on Saturday night, it was really awesome, by the way, and um, we just got a chance to get my kids in the car, and me and my sons, we went over to the Dollar Tree because we were going to buy what we needed for these, uh, for these Operation Christmas Child boxes. And you know what's wrong bringing kids into the Dollar Tree, right? <laughs> Everything is eminently affordable. It doesn't matter what it is. You say, that's just a dollar. Look, this is a dollar. And that's a dollar. It's all a dollar. And you're like, oh, great. It's like the great temptation factory for children. And so when you bring your child with you, you know they're going to be tested. And I looked at it and I said, look, we're just getting stuff for the boxes. We're not getting anything for you. Don't ask me. We're, let's go in there. Let's get what they need. Well, I've blessed their little hearts. They get in there and it's just like, 19 erasers for a dollar? Look, magnifying glasses for a dollar. God, there's this book for on top of this. And so everything was like, can I just get one thing? It's just a dollar. And it's like, and that's the struggle. That's what we all face. While we go into something that is not meant to tempt you, not meant to call your attention to your desires and your longings, it happens. We get caught in these tests and suddenly there's temptation. You see, God will indeed lead you into tests. He will lead you into these situations where you can be tempted. And we're asking God is, please don't lead me into the situation where I'm going to fail. Don't lead me into the situation where I'm going to fail. God, help me. And the thing is, God will indeed lead you 
into these tests. Here's how I know this for sure. He led his son. You remember, step back and think about it. He's just gone into the waters. Jesus walked into the Jordan. John the Baptist has taken him. He's baptized him in the water, brought him up. The Holy Spirit has come down in the shape of a dove. God speaks from the heavens and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus comes up out of the waters, has some more conversations with some of the John's disciples who will become his. And then the Spirit does something. It says this in Matthew 4. Jesus was then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be what? Tempted. Tempted by the devil. That word led is the same word here. The Spirit, who is God, led Jesus out into the wilderness, out into this desert, and there he was tempted, not by God, but he was tempted by the devil. And this test that God put on Jesus was to reveal his character. It was to reveal that he was the one who could stand up, rise up against sin, and never give in. Though he was starving, he wouldn't give in by using his power. Though he had every opportunity to take control of the, of the entire human race, he didn't take it. Jesus stood firm in all of the tests that mankind fails in. And so Jesus' character was revealed. He puts you through tests to reveal your character. He puts you through things so that you can come to this place where you see, hey, I'm either going to go into this test and reveal Christ's character in me, or you're gonna go into this test and reveal your character. When you go into a test and you reveal Christ's character, you're gonna pass because Christ's character is not gonna fail. You're not gonna sin against God. But if you go into the test and your character shows up, what's gonna happen? It ain't gonna look pretty, is it? We're gonna find ourselves failing. We're gonna find ourselves sinning. We're gonna give in to temptation. And so what God is doing is he's trying to give you a chance, give you this opportunity to let Christ's character flow through you, let Christ's power that dwells in you as a Christian come out so you can pass through the test. Now, here's why the other reason then that God put, leads you into tests is so that when you go in there, it'll shape your character to like Christ's. When your character goes in, it's this way, it's kind of crooked. If you walk in and Christ works through you, it straightens you out. You gain power, you gain strength, you endure and character is shaped. Notice how Paul puts this as he's writing to the Romans. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put to shame. Why in the world would he say that your character produces hope? except that the character that you produce is not your own, it's the character of Christ. You'll become more loving. you become more patient, kinder, gentler, more controlled over yourself. All these are character attributes of Christ. And as it comes through your life and you endure through the test and you endure through that temptation and you don't give in to that sin, you don't go screaming and yelling at that person, you don't steal that object, you don't click on that particular website, you don't go lusting after that person, you, you, you keep yourself in Christ's character, your character shifts and it becomes more like Christ's character. And God intended that. He wanted you to be shaped, changed, God is not there to just throw you into bad things, okay? Once again, let me reiterate this. God's not out to just toss you into evil. That's why Jesus told us, pray, that we would be delivered from evil. God doesn't want you just to go through bad stuff. God just doesn't want you to go through the ringer because he's like, well, sorry, welcome to life. <laughs> he's not the megalomaniac up there going, watch this mess, I'm gonna throw at that guy. <laughs> Wasn't that funny, angels? No, that's not what God's up there doing. 
He says, I want my people to pray, deliver me from evil. And how many evil things has he delivered you from today? And we didn't even realize it because we weren't ready with this prayer. We hadn't sat down and said, God, deliver me from evil. And you realize maybe the traffic light that I sat behind longer than normal today was because he was keeping me from an accident a little further down the road. Anybody ever thought that thought? You know, one of the things I praised God for was that he kept me from evil. I hung my Christmas lights yesterday and I didn't fall from the ladder. You know, that's something that happens every year. And I think about it, I'm standing on that ladder going, I could die, this could be bad. And yet, the only thing that happened was I dumbly, you know, stapled in with the power on. That was not a good idea. So I learned my lesson, my character got shaped. But anyway, the point was that all of us are going to go through things that God will deliver us from. He just doesn't want to willy-nilly throw evil in your life. You go, well, why am I going through what I'm going through? You're not looking at my marriage. You're not looking at what my kids are doing. You don't see what's happening in my workplace. You know, I'm single. What is going on here? I believe that God knows your soul better than anyone else. Amen? We all agree with that one? God knows how you're bent, particularly. He knows your mess. He knows your addictions. He knows your brokenness. He knows your genetics, whatever it is. Doesn't God know these things? I'm sure he does. Scripture tells us he does. Then how do you not know he knows the exact things to put you through to shape you like Christ? That maybe the sufferings, maybe the tests, maybe the trials that he leads you through are the very ones that will shape you perfectly to be like Christ. That he puts you exactly in the thing that you're going through, the disease that you have. Maybe it's exactly the scenario that you're walking through with your spouse. Maybe exactly the situation with your kids or your employment. That he said, I have you there with that annoying guy next to you in the cubicle because I know he's the one you needed to become more like Jesus. You're thinking, thanks God. No, that's how bent we are. I can remember years ago, I was with my, my wife and I, we're about four or five years in our marriage. She was pregnant again. That was pretty common because we have four kids early on in our marriage. And so she was pregnant and my wife hated wearing shoes. So literally she was barefoot pregnant in the kitchen in this particular scenario. And I'm sitting, and, and I'm not proud of this, but I was sitting on the couch just like, doo, 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 just talking to, I think I was actually laying down. Like she's working hard in the kitchen. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. And I think she's just snatched. She's like, this is ridiculous. And we got into this, fight this issue. She's like, you are so lazy. You won't get up. You won't help me. Why are you just sitting there? And I'm like, what? I'm not lazy. I work hard. You know, it's like, and I looked at her, I'm like, you know, the problem is you, you want your life too ordered. You can't have peace in the mess with God. You need to keep everything ordered so you can have peace. And in the end, we went back and forth. I think this went on for a few months and this conversation kept going. It was one of those intense moments in your, your relationship. And in the end, I was right. No, I was being lazy. That's actually what was going on. And yet, at the same time, you ask my wife, she says, yeah, you were right. See, God intended that argument, intended the very scenario of our marriage to reveal in both of us something that was in our character, something that needed to be shifted. This wasn't about her problem. When it ultimately came down to it, me and God got together. He said, this is about your problem, Greg. You are being lazy. You're not serving her like Christ. And I'm putting you through this test, this trial, to shape your character to become more like my son. And the same thing was true for my wife. And both of us came out of it not angry at each other, but amazed at what God was willing to do as we were willing to listen to him. And so when you get into your prayer closet, when you get alone in private, when you sit down and you come to this section of prayer and you're asking God, God, deliver me from evil. You know, oh, just don't lead me into the trial I'm gonna fail. And ask him, God, show me what you're doing. 
Reveal to me how you're working in my soul. Give me wisdom because I know you're shaping me. And it's not necessarily about them. So help me forgive them and remind me of how I can be shaped. What do I need to go through and do? I need to lean on you, God, please help me. And this is so critical because in this shaping, in this, we, we gain this wisdom and we grow. And guys, I don't want you to, to waste a single test, but also I don't want you to be unaware that this, isn't, this, this is difficult, this is hard. You see, with every test, there's something else going on. Just like that void thing where I've got goggles on, I'm having this war and around me is the mundane hubbub of an everyday job where you're watching people put on VR glasses and walk around and you're just making sure they're with them. That's one world. Flip it though. What's really going on is you and I are getting in cars every day. We're driving in traffic. We're going all the way to our location. We're turning in TPS reports. We're setting up all these kind of things that's going on and we're just bored, bored, bored with our lives construction and more stuff, more traffic, go home. And I want to play on the weekend. And that's about our lives. And it seems so dull. What we don't see is like the flip of the void is going on. There's actually a spiritual war happening all around us. There's this battle that's raging. And what we need to be asking God in the midst of the reality of this flipped world where there is angels and there are demons and there is a God and there is a battle of sin raging around us, that we need to ask God that we, he would rescue us from joining the enemy, that he'd rescue us from entering into our old ways and our old habits and saying, hey, look, God, you've led me into this test. Help me not fail and become part of the enemy's camp again. And so what we're begging God is rescue me, rescue me, because the other way we can translate this is this. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's another way you can translate that last line of the Greek. And what's interesting is many scholars do this. They go, it has nothing to do with the temptation and being trials. It has to do with the fact that God will lead you into things and the enemy is ready to tempt you. So we're asking God, please don't lead me into the temptations of the enemy. Deliver me from them. Rescue me from them. Release me from them because I don't want to fail. And I believe what Jesus is doing is not only telling you to think through the trials and the tests you're in, to lean on him and to be dependent upon him. The next step over is to say, remember, you're in a spiritual war and you need God more than you think you do. You need God way more than you think you do because in this war, there's a big fat enemy and he's mean and he's big and he will take you down. The enemy number one, do you know who that is? Everybody say it with me. One, two, three. It's myself. I love that. We're like, I don't know. You're like, maybe the devil, maybe not. I don't know. What kind of church am I in? So I'm the biggest enemy to myself. And I love that our services keep saying that. Me, I'm the problem. Exactly, I'm the problem. You're the problem. You can deliver every demon from your body. You can lock yourself away from the world and become a monk. You will never escape your own sinful nature. You will never escape the darkness of your soul. You will never escape the twisted brokenness that is found, whether it's in your genetics, whether it's in your soulish makeup, whether it's just a fact that we're just nasty sinners and rebellion to God. The bottom line is you are your biggest threat. When James talks about temptation, the brother of Jesus, he made it clear. He says this. Whoop, move on to that one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. No, read that again. You are tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. 
not somebody else. You dangled your own little lure in front of you. And you're just like, it's so pretty. I want it. This is the kind of dumb stuff we do to ourselves. You're like, I'm on a diet. Then stop driving by the donut shop seven times. You know, I can go to Starbucks all I want. I won't get anything from the beautiful, ooh, can I get one of those? That's the problem. We are, we are susceptible to our own temptation, susceptible to our own sin. We are surrounded, not in a battle with human beings. We are surrounded in a battle against ourselves and against the demonic world. That's what Paul was saying. I want you to see that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces and evil in the heavenly places, and we are one of those. In a very real sense, not our flesh and blood, but our spiritual, because you and I, guys, are what they're fighting over. They don't need territory. They don't need ground. They don't need stars and planets and junk like that. They're not after money, and they don't need the presidency or the, or the kingship of some country or the empire. No, they want you. You are the ground by which they fight, and we have already been lost. And now when Christ saved us, now the war is to get you back in there. They don't want you going to heaven. Our souls don't really, our flesh does not want to go to heaven. Our flesh doesn't want to give up the stuff of garbage that won't be found in heaven. It wants it now. And so we are indeed our own enemy. We lure ourselves in. We drive ourselves forward. And then this compounds, it grows from there because we're in a world of humans. And we like to produce things called societies and culture. And what you and I feel then is the second great enemy of the, our souls is the world. First is us, second is the world. Now, what's the world? Think about it this way. You guys remember peer pressure from high school? Anybody remember peer pressure? Like, yeah, I didn't think it ended in high school. It became social pressure as you got older. Peer pressure and social pressure are real things. In fact, they've just discovered in a sociological study in the last decade or so this thing called social contagion. What's interesting about social contagion is it's found primarily um, the strongest amongst young girls in high school er, in high schools. And social contagion begins sort of like this. One girl sits down with another girl and they, she goes, I, I, I'm really struggling. I've got anorexia. And, um, this is, and she talks about her anorexia or her bulimia or whatever. And this is where they first saw it. Within a few months, about half the rest of the girls will have also be struggling with anorexia or bulimia. And it just spreads. And then it spreads through the school as it becomes something that's kind of secretly popular. This is how you stay thin. This is what you do. And this is what's going on. And it spreads as, as this thing that they know is bad, but at the same time is helpful. The latest thing that's going on is transgenderism is spreading faster among teenage girls than any other part of the population. Because one girl comes out and says, I feel like a boy. And the other girls go, oh, that's kind of, and then they wonder if they do. And then it spreads into what's cool and it grows. This is what social contagion does. Guys, this is just what the Bible calls the world. It's nothing new. The world wants to conform you. It wants to shape you. It's the reason that you go to the beach and it's the one place you will actually get into your underwear in public and, and, and jump around in water. So let's be honest. What a bikini is, it's just, it's just underwear in public. Same thing with some men's bathing suits. But anyway. <laughs> it's also why you will go to work. And you will struggle not to cuss because it's the social expectation. It's why on stages that are being recorded, when we do this, it's difficult for me not to stand firm sometimes on the scripture because I feel a social pressure, a world pressure that wants to conform the message versus the word of God, which is why you have to pray that we would stand firm. 
Because what we are feeling is a world that wants to conform you and shape you. And Paul says, no, no, no. Be shaped and conformed to the word of God and to the character of Christ. Don't let the world shape you. Because it's a real enemy of your soul. And so when you get in this test, it's bad enough you're tempting yourself. The world wants to shape you in that test. And then you add the devil in. Now, the devil himself probably has never tempted you personally. But Satan is a malevolent force that's out there with a lot. What I mean by force is a lot of other demonic horde around him. Now, there's not a demon under every rock. And there's not a demon's particular things. But the bottom line is demons are there to tempt you. They're there to call you into sin. A demon doesn't have to scare you. He's not the little red suited guy going (laughs) running around, okay? It's not a demon. That's our mockery of a demon. What a demon is, is a fallen angel whose aim is to take the human being and tempt him to sin so that he can deliver him into hell away from God. See, here's the demons. They're your best friend. They're the ones saying, I don't let them judge you. It's okay if you do this or that or other. I'm never going to tell anybody. It's awesome. Just go have some fun. Live up life and enjoy it, man. That's their thing. And so everything's shiny and awesome, and I'll be there with you. This will be great. And when you finally give in and you do it, they turn on you and say, I can't believe you'd ever do something like that. You're such a horrible, broken person. Can't believe you'd ever treat somebody that way. You just told me it'd feel good. I know. Aren't you an evil idiot? And then they pound you and pound you and pound you to where you can believe you could never be forgiven, to where you're a broken mess. You're never going to live up to your expectations. They want to crush you. They want to destroy your soul. And they want to make you think the church hates your guts and that God would never allow you in. And you know what? They're just anti-you. Why the demons want to do that is because they don't want you to enjoy eternal life, which God took in his own hands, that he would bear all of your sin, all of the hell that we rightly deserve. And Jesus on a bloody cross would bear that and all the wrath on himself so that you could be forgiven. And then he offers it to you as a gift that I'll give you all my righteousness, all my goodness, my resurrection itself can be yours to have you for eternity What do I have to do? Nothing. It's a gift. Receive it. That's it. It's not a gift. They're lying to you. They just want your money. How they just want to control your mind. They're trying to scare you with hell so you can go to heaven. What kind of evil people would ever scare you with hell so you can have eternal life? Those are evil people. What? That's weird. And the world has manipulated this language because they dare not ever want you to trust in a God who would love you in an incredible way like this. And the demonic world and the world itself and our broken souls just can't receive it. No, but I'm telling you right now, you can. That God has given this to you. It's right there available right now. You can receive it this very moment and you can be free. You can be saved. Jesus Christ can, be, can set you free. Don't stop. Listen to nothing else I have to say. If you don't hear this today, that God loves you. He's given his son to bear your sins. And it doesn't matter where you've come from or what you're doing or what's going on. He wants you to come to him to be forgiven, transformed. And then he'll begin to shape you. And he'll lead you through the word. And he'll transform your life. And maybe you need to do that right now. The only thing we'd ask is after you've done it, let us know. So we can help you begin to grow in your spiritual walk with God. And you can use that blue card. You can go tell somebody after service, whatever you need to do to let somebody know. Maybe you came with somebody. Tell them because we want to help you grow. But guys, 
Do you hear what it is? When it comes to this cosmic battle, there's only one thing Jesus wants to remind us, that we can't win it ourselves. God alone delivers us. And so we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. I don't like that word deliver. Anybody else like that word deliver? It's an old word. You know what I think of when I hear the word deliver? When is Amazon coming to my house? That's what I think of deliver, right? It's Christmas. Deliver the packages for our... That's not what deliver, delivers the opposite. Something's bringing something to me. Deliver in the old word meant rescue, save me. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying you are dependent upon God to be rescued. You are dependent upon God to be rescued from yourself, rescued from this world, rescued from this war, from the temptation of the enemy. The bottom line is you have no way out but God. And the problem is there's an attitude. There's two attitudes that can crop up. When it comes to the wrestling with temptation, first attitude is, God does not want to help me. Do you understand how many times I've been through this mess? And every time I fail, every time I'm broken, apparently God just doesn't want to help me out. He doesn't want to save me from this mess. He's just, it's, it's gone. The other one is, you know what? I got this. I have friends who struggle with this side. My personal favorite seems to be struggling with, I got this, God, no problem. I'm in on this one. And so then, in my past, what do I do? I sit down and go, I can get on the internet, and a little bleep, and I'm like, uh-huh. click, wrong direction, I fail. I don't got this. You don't got this. None of us got this. But it's not true that God doesn't want to help. Notice what Paul again tells the church in Corinth. He says, no temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. First of all, before you begin to give yourself an out that nobody struggles like I struggle. Nobody, mess, nobody struggles like I do. Maybe you call your struggle a habit. Maybe you call it an addiction. Maybe you call it an identity. Maybe you call it something else. I don't know what you call it. But the bottom line is you're not unique in your struggle. Notice again, no temptation is overtaking you. That is not what? Common. I don't know how many junior hires and high schoolers came up to me throughout the years, including my own kids and stuff, that say, you know, I feel this way, Dad. Is that weird? It's common. All of us have struggled with the same temptations, the same messes, the same garbage. Don't think you're unique, and somehow God has specially picked you out to crush you because you struggle with a particular sin. Our world seems to put the LGBTQ stuff in that category. Nope, that's a common sin mess for all humanity. It's not unique. It's as ununique and as uncommon as lying and cheating and gossip and adultery, and pornography, and every other sin, it's common. Don't put yourself in another category. Because if you did, then you won't think that God's faithful to help you out. But he is. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that's not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What is that way of escape? What is it? Well, Jesus showed you when he was in his temptation. And you know what he did? He started quoting scripture. Here's his, the Satan says, hey, turn these stones into bread. As he's starving, he looks at the guy and says, no, I'm going to live by the word of God alone. I'm going to trust God's word. Okay, Mr. Somebody you think you is, let's put you on a high spot. Throw yourself down because your oh so precious scripture says God will protect you. No, it also says I shouldn't test God. So I'm just going to trust him that he's got this. Oh, okay, well, let me show you the world. I'll give you all this power. You don't have to go through anything else. I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. You know what? The Bible says to worship God alone. I'm going to trust that he's got this mess. 
And Jesus, every time, quotes scripture that says, I'm trusting God, not you. I'm trusting God, not you. If Jesus said the way out is to trust God, every test's escape, every test's moment is called trust. If you're in a test, trust the Lord can release you. If you're in a test, trust he is your escape. And I get it, there will be moments that you will have forgotten this. You will be in the temptation. You'll have hooked yourself, you'll be dragged forward, you'll be going out there and be like, so pretty, it's the light, whatever it is. And you'll almost be there, you'll be about to sin, but because you've been praying, deliver me from evil, God will show up and snap the string. How many times has it been an interruption, some text, some phone call, somebody knocks on your door, some kid cries and punches their sister or something like that, and suddenly you're like, it wakes you from your, the direction you were going, and you're like, whoa, what did I almost do? Don't you dare do that to your, you know, and then it switches, right? Temptation is always lurking, but God is ready and prepared to snap that line. He is prepared to help you, to enable you, because his goal in you is not to throw you into danger and throw you into evil. His goal is to deliver you from evil, if we will simply ask him. If you are struggling with sin, this is your prayer. Oh God, see me, lead me not into the trials that I will fail. I wanna survive, I wanna grow, I wanna strengthen, so deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from evil, deliver me from sin. Make me strong, make me like you. And every day we pray that for all of us, not just yourself. Deliver us from evil, amen? So let me give you a little rubric when it comes to the us's to help you as you continue developing this prayer in your life. I like to use the word face and the idea of, you know, getting to the face of God. And so when I start as I use the F as the first word, and I say F, family. Now you, you gotta determine who your family is, but I pray for my wife, I pray for my, my family and my kids, I pray for my, my, my parents, my in-laws, all of my family, and I just put all of that into family. And then I move to my accountability. These are people that I put in my life who know my sin, I know their sin, and we wrestle and we talk to each other and I pray for them. And so you got family, then you move to accountability, maybe your small group, then move to church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for your pastor, oh, pray for your elders, pray for us, pray for the staff, that we would be not led into temptation but delivered from evil. We don't want this place to fail because of a staff failure. We don't want this place to fail because we didn't, pray and see God deliver us. No, we want to see this. So pray for your leaders. Pray for each other. Pray for your small groups. Pray for one another. And then move on to E. What's E? Everybody else that you can think of. Because sometimes they don't fit these categories. And so you will pray, you know, for your, your boss, your coworkers, that person who checked you out at the, at the 99 cent store or whatever. You pray for these people. And so it's just simply F-A-C-E, family, accountability, church, everybody else. And that helps us pray for one another, for the us. And so the goal here is that God would deliver us, that we would grow stronger and stronger in his character, and that we would have more success against the spiritual war. But guys, it means we're praying this prayer. And here's the beautiful thing. When we're on God's team, we're thinking about his kingdom and his will, he's ready to meet us in our needs, physically, spiritually, and yes, even morally. And so what I want to do now as we close it up is I want to pray this prayer together. So I'm going to ask that you would stand with me. And we're going to really pray it. Just don't say the words. And we don't want to speak meaningless words. We want to pray this together. And as we do that as best you can with, with the meaning in your hearts, with the meanings in your mind, to 
pray these words and I'll start them off. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's children said, amen, amen.